Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Bert Munro, who's the CEO of Cora Gold, a UK-based aim-listed company who are a gold exploration um, company with a focus on gold exploration in Mali and Senegal. Um, Bert has a strong background in Africa, having spent 10 years with Humminbird Resources in senior management. Um, so he's got a great understanding of how to develop gold mine assets in those regions. So let's get straight into this and let's welcome Bert to the, um, to the podcast. How are you doing, Bert? Yeah, good, thanks. Never better. All good, thanks. That's good to hear. Appreciate your time, uh, uh, taking the time to do this podcast. So as we always start this, I just wonder if you can give us an overview of your background um, before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, you telling us a little bit more, more about uh, Cora Gold. Yeah, sure. I mean, you sort of touched on it briefly in the introduction. Um, I took over as CEO of Cora Gold in January of last year. So I guess it's been an interesting uh, 18 months to be doing your first stint as a, as a CEO of a company. Um, before that, I spent, uh, I think, close to 11 years, maybe just over 11 years with Hummingbird Resources. So I was originally um, an operations manager. So I lived out in the jungle in Liberia for a few years, overseeing some of the scout drilling programs and, and drilling out the maiden resource um, of Digby, which obviously grew to 4 million ounces. And Post-IPO back in 2011, 2012, I moved back to the UK, uh, based out of the UK, obviously flying in out of West Africa and was in various roles, but yeah, ultimately sort of the head of BD at, at Hummingbird as it went through, I guess, the acquisition of Jan Falila and, and obviously financing it and, and the development of Jan Falila. Um, so yeah, my, my experience has been really all West Africa, all gold over the last 12 years um, in the mining space, both obviously initially with Hummingbird and then obviously now with, with Cora and obviously... Yeah, hoping to build our own mine at San Ancora. So, yeah, exciting times. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you can give us an overview of, uh, obviously, Cora Gold, um, and then tell us about your, obviously, flagship operation in Mali. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, Cora is aim-listed um, in London here, uh, listed in 2017. Uh, it had been a private company um, operating in West Africa since 2012. A lot of the management team and a lot of the geologists and technical team have been together for, for well over a decade in West Africa, um, from the previous company they're working together with as well. So uh, we've got a great team of, of guys who have worked together and girls who have worked together um, in West Africa, both in Mali and Senegal. Um, they obviously came together in 2012. Um, the IPO in 2017 was really the amalgamation of Cora with private assets, with um, actually taking on some of the Hummingbird non-core assets um, to Hummingbird as it was constructing Yan Falila. And that was how I really got involved. I was, I guess, part of the Hummingbird team that helped you know, bring together that deal with Cora. Uh, then I was a non-exec representative on behalf of Hummingbird um, for a while before I took over from, from John Forster, who was retiring, um, to take over and be CEO. So, yeah, the background on, on Cora is really, it's been a grassroots explorer making discoveries in West Africa uh, and looking to grow projects. Obviously, we've now honed in on our main project on San Ancoro, delivered a great scoping study on it, and obviously pushing forward towards resource growth and a feasibility study later in the year. Okay. Um, and Cora is obviously currently working on its largest uh, dual program today. Um, how's that going? Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about the results that you found so far? Yeah, sure. I mean, the drill program is going great. Actually, we've done a little over 11,000 metres of, of the 35,000 metres so far. 
just mobilizing two more rigs this month. So currently you've got you know one large RC rig there, which can do about 8,000 meters a month. Um, Going to get a second RC rig and a diamond rig there this month. So should have wrapped up the 35,000 meters by beginning of July time, which will be great. Um, it's part of a process, which was essentially we brought out a maiden resource and scoping study last year. And obviously are now trying to do a sort of an accelerated resource growth, but also increasing categorization. So this, this drilling is both step out drilling um, to obviously increase our total ounces, but also then infill drilling as well to, to move the categorization from, from inferred up to indicated. Um, so it's been going well in terms of the meterage operationally. It's been great on the ground. We haven't had, uh, we haven't had any, any issues touch wood. Um, and we've just released the second round of drill results there um, yesterday. Um, which have been good. So we had the first round two weeks ago or so and the second round of drill results yesterday. So we've had two good rounds of drilling. Um, the thing we really like about San Ancora really is that you've got a lot of oxide material. So you have oxide ore from surface to depths of anywhere from 70 meters in the north of the permit down to maybe 110, 120 meters in the south of the permit. So you've got a free digging material, um, which should be relatively low cost to, to dig up. Um, it's got great metallurgical recovery. Um, so you're getting up to 94, 95% recovery, both um, through a combination of gravity and CIL in, in around four to six hours time. So that has a huge amount of positives when you're moving into operations. So the intercepts we've been seeing and we've been drilling have been, you know, you've had between 20 to 50 meter wide uh, mineralized zones being hit of grades from sort of one and a half to two and a half grams a ton. So for the shallow, what should be shallow low strip pressure oxide, those are, those are some really good results. Yeah. Um, obviously, ESG is a pretty uh, important topic in uh, in mining and obviously is pretty at the forefront of um, the, the industry at the moment. Um, how has your relationships been with the local communities in the jurisdictions you're working with and also obviously just not local communities, but also governments? Yeah, no, it's great. And I think it's important you raise it. It is an important part of, of the business. I was out of sight obviously it's been tricky with this uh you know COVID and stuff but i mean i was out of sight in december and i was back at it again in march as well so hoping to go again next month so you know every visit i've done since i've been there i've you know visited some projects we've been, been involved with whether it's you know helping improve the local schools in those communities putting in market gardens um you know clean water other other projects so really keen to engage both in um that side of it and i think obviously with the bigger picture, I think, you know, longer term benefits of, benefits of improving education um, as well. So I think we've got um, you know, good engagement with our local communities. I think we've got good relationships with the local communities, which we, we operate within, uh, always looking for ways to improve, always looking to do things better if we can and, and learn from other people and, and look to improve it. But I think what we've done for the stage we're at has, has been great. Um, in terms of, you know, local government, you know, we recently just had our, our main permit renewed uh, for an additional nine years. So, in that respect, we are one of the first groups in the country to get um, the updated expiration permit um, post the new mining code in Mali. So that was really pleasing for us to get, and hopefully a good uh, a good sign of our, you know, I guess our position in Mali, and and I guess the you know, our, yeah, exactly our position and place in Mali really. Yeah, and talking and obviously continuing on with ESG. Obviously, you've worked in Africa for over ten years. How have you seen ESG? sort of develop so companies um obviously improving their standards across the board how have you seen it developed and obviously moving into the future i think i'd like to think you know certainly my experience at hummingbird before core and now at core i mean we it has always been something which has been central to how we've felt it's the right way to operate and to do things the right way 
I think the shift has actually been it's just getting more visibility. So, you know, institutional investors are more interested to hear about it and want to understand how and what you're doing. So I think, you know, certainly, you know, my experience directly with Hummingbird and, and obviously now with Cora, you know, I don't think we've necessarily, hopefully you're always looking to improve, but I don't think we were doing a, a bad job 10 years ago in Liberia. Um, I think obviously you're looking you're looking to always improve it and, and things move on. But I think it's certainly getting a lot more headlines publicly. And I guess people are more conscious of it and looking to, to sort of quantify and qualify it. Um, but I think actually operationally, I think, you know, a lot of mining companies have been doing a good job for a lot longer um, than it's been visible. They maybe just haven't shouted about it. And that's maybe, you know, partly the mining industry needs to probably be, um, you know, maybe less embarrassed about the fact that they, you know, maybe digging a, digging a hole in the ground to remove the minerals and then look at all the positive impacts they have both, um, you know, on the ground and obviously the wider sphere. So, yeah, I think there's there's two sides to it, I suppose. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned COVID. How's that affected your company and operations? Um, obviously, we're, we're over 15 months in since it all, since it really sort of started. How, how's that affected affected you, the company? And uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess, increase? look, I mean, I took over as CEO in, in January and obviously the primary job of any of any boss is to make sure his employees are, are safe and healthy, right? So, you know, pr- pretty soon within three months of taking over, suddenly there was obviously something which was pretty new for everyone to deal with. So I think the team have done a great job at site. I mean, I'm really pleased with how they've, how they've reacted, how they've changed sort of, you know, slightly how the camps laid out and the protocols and the systems to make sure that we can operate drill programs and, and exploration programs, you know, safely and in a way that people are comfortable with it, uh, minimizing, you know, risk to everyone on site. So I'm really pleased with how the team's adapted and how they've dealt with it. I think for Cora, um, Cora's never had an office in the UK or, or outside of West Africa. It's always been very much every dollar goes into the ground in Africa. Don't, don't waste money on, on any sort of corporate excess in that regard. So I was working from home from January. There's only two of us based out of the UK. Everyone else is at site. Um, you know, predominantly Malayan employees. We've got one expat um, in country overseeing stuff. So for us, in, in a way, COVID didn't change the way we operated the business because we were working remotely, uh, traveling to site when we needed to, you know, meeting up in, in neutral destinations if we needed to before. Uh, so I guess in some ways, we, you know, we were used to kind of video calls and, and you know, WhatsApp calls and whatever else everyone does. Um, I think obviously from a, you know, operational perspective, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. We had a drilling program going on in Senegal, which had to get paused last year at one stage due to COVID. You know, no, thankfully, no one got it in our team or anything. It was more just, uh, you know, local government um, changing the rulings about operating at the time. But so, we, you know, it has impacted us in, in a minor way, but thankfully and, and touchwood, we haven't had any significant impact in terms of delivering our projects to the timelines or to the budget we've, we've been saying we would. Yeah. And obviously you've been flying backwards and forwards to Africa. How has Africa, as I suppose, as a continent or even the, some of the jurisdictions that you've been working in, how have they coped with COVID? Has it, has it been, I wouldn't say uh, pretty plain sailing, but have they sort of coped with it pretty well? Oh, look, I mean, I think there probably hasn't been as many studies done and as many eyes pouring over it and obviously nowhere near as much testing as we're doing. So I think whilst the cases have probably been optically, you know, a lot lower in West Africa, I, I guess you haven't necessarily got a true sense of the picture because they aren't doing the level of testing. I mean, two things, which obviously West Africa had probably going for it from um, 
a COVID perspective is one, it isn't a mass tourist destination. Whereas areas of Southern Africa probably took a lot more tourists and probably they had more international travel coming, which probably meant that, you know, COVID was much worse in parts of Southern Africa. Um, and secondly, there is, you know, a much younger population in, in West Africa. Um, and ultimately, as we know now, certainly with the data, uh, you know, if you're under the age of 60, uh, you know, your risk of getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is, is really very limited. Um, so I think they probably benefited from the fact they've generally got, you know, a younger population uh, and there was less international travel. I mean, there aren't really you know, significant international hubs um, where people are flying in and out of and a sort of, you know, a vector to spread the to spread the virus. So, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, obviously, whilst they have had some deaths and, and infections from it, I think they have been uh, not as badly affected as other parts of the world. Yeah. Um Obviously, the price of gold um, hit, had a uh, sort of all-time high in early August, and it obviously has come off a little bit since then. Um, how do you see this as, uh, or how do you see this as a positive uh, momentum continuing um, over the course of the next um, four, five, six years? Yeah, I mean, look in our scoping study, we ran our numbers as a base case at, at fifteen hundred, and then showed sort of. Uh, 14, 1600 numbers as well. Um, and look, and the project looked to be making very good money um, at $1,500 gold. I don't want to give you some great macroeconomic sort of thesis on, on, on my views on the gold price. I think, uh, you know, that's probably for other people to do. Uh, if I can look to build the lowest cost operation possible, you're always going to be maximizing your margin, you know, whatever the gold price. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear. And I think if you look at any of the, any of the banks or or other organizations which are forecasting this, all of them are generally forecasting it for it to be north of 1750 um, with a sort of three plus four year view. Um, so for me, the gold price at 1800 or give or take 1800, you know, operations should be making a lot of money at this stage, at this price. Um, and obviously I think gold equities offer investors great leverage into the gold price. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the gold price is historically good at the moment and I see no reason that it would be going um, downwards. Uh, I think it will probably stay where it is or go upwards in my view. Yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. Um, obviously, this is your first uh, CEO position. Um, how has it been during the obviously during your time since you uh, took the helm? Um, and you obviously mentioned you've been out to site um, a few times. Um, how have you how have you spent your time out on site? Yeah, I mean, answer the first, but first, I mean, yeah, it's been great. I mean, what an honour and responsibility to be asked to be CEO of a company. You've got. Um, I've got a great team under me who uh, have been in place, you know, long before me at Cora and have been operating really well. So I guess what a great opportunity to sort of steer the ship uh, and look to move Cora through the next stages of its development. And hopefully, um, you know, through the feasibility study at the end of this year and, and into construction next as, as we move towards turning San Ancaro into a, into a producing gold mine. So, I mean, it's, it's been a great um, experience for me. I've loved it. And it's been a great opportunity um, to have. Obviously, yeah, the pandemic threw up some, some, uh, yeah, a few curveballs for everyone, I guess. Um, you know, thankfully, none of our staff have have had any serious illness from it. Um, you know, the guys on the ground really, you know, Siaka Kumar, our country director, you know, to thank for that, he quickly put in place um, some good COVID protocols and and have reacted and adapted to it. So, really, they've done it. They've done a great job to continue to be able to deliver exploration programs and really positive results through it. Uh, I mean, in terms of traveling, obviously, I'd have loved to have been to site more. Um, you know, during most of last year, I didn't go to site. Obviously, you know, we were kind of restricted in the UK from from doing that. But when it did open up more, I went in in the last quarter of last year. Obviously, you've got to do your quarantinings in in both ways and lots of testing and and everything else. So, you know, it, it's 
not the easiest thing to do, but but it's worth it in my mind. It's it's important and integral to, to doing the job is being on the ground and seeing it and, and understanding it and, and seeing the guys. So and girls, I should say. Um, so yeah, I think for me it's important. I mean, yeah, obviously it's it's it is a bit yeah, it's 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 more inconvenient traveling now than it was before COVID. But I think that's a small price to pay for for the benefit and um you know the benefit of getting there. Yeah. And obviously, as we mentioned, it is your first CEO position. Is it what you expected? Obviously, apart from obviously uh, COVID, but is it what you expected? Is there was there any challenges that have been thrown at you again, apart from COVID, that you didn't foresee um, in in obviously becoming the CEO? Uh, I mean, I guess always challenges. I guess that's good. It's why you want the job. And I think, you know, if, if building mining projects was easy, I guess everyone would have done it before you. So I think I suppose that's part of um, the enjoyment of the job is is sort of seeing challenges or you know seeing them before they hit you and, and and getting ahead of them so yeah we've obviously had you know some logistical and operational challenges you know partly because of covid you've obviously had you know personnel challenges you know guys trying to rotate out on leave and how you manage that and things so there have been lots of additional challenges thrown at us through covid obviously you know managing consultants contractors staff um, in a safe way so i suppose those have been additional challenges thrown thrown at us um you know obviously there's always a whole host of things it's one of the things which is really exciting about the sector whether you're dealing with permitting on one side or logistical challenges or drilling or dealing with you know how the resource growth is coming or draws up there's, there's so many different you know all the whole esg piece as well as you said the the relationships with communities and, and how that develops and how you you plan that both sort of short medium and long term so you know it's, it's a very multifaceted. um industry which has lots of parts to it so i guess the enjoyable part of being the ceo is you get to see all of it whereas you know before my role uh with hummingbird i guess was more you know in one particular silo where you you were more focused i suppose stepping back and, and being engaging more with all aspects of it has been an enjoyable part of it um and i guess challenges is just part of the part of the job just to sort of overcome as they as they hit you yeah um and obviously as the ceo as a, as a company, are you looking at any mergers and acquisitions, or looking to joint venture with any companies, or or looking to explore any other any other opportunities? Oh, I guess you know if I was, I couldn't tell you anything, Rob. But um, look, I think as a as a as a company, uh, you know, you're always looking to grow. I think our organic pipeline for growth is excellent. We've got around 1,100 square kilometers of permit area, which is frankly massive. We've got um, a great band of permits in the Yanfalila belt in Southern Mali. So our main asset's called San Ancoro. Uh, the main permit is San Ancoro, but there's four other contiguous permits which form a block, which is our San Ancoro project area. Uh, we've also got a kind of donutting of permits around the Yanfalila gold mine. It's a nice technical expression for you there, Rob, yeah. uh, uh, which is which is good. They've got obviously, you know, very prospective area um, and, and good neurology to an operating mine, which is great. And we've also got a block of permits up in, in West Mali and into Senegal in that Kenyaba window, which has arguably been the most prolific gold belt in West Africa, um, you know, potentially Africa over the last 30 years. So we've got great organic growth potential, I believe. Um, I mean, that the industry's seen some mergers and, and, and some acquisitions of late. And, you know, I always see there's, there, there is always merit for it potentially at the right time for the right group. But I think um, at the moment, we very much got our head down. We've got a very... Um, defined strategy um, that we're delivering to and obviously keeping our focus on, on delivering that which we think will maximize you know shareholder return 
Yeah. And as a conclusion, um, I just wonder what the outlook over the next uh, foreseeable future is for Coral Gold. And especially if any any investors are listening to the, to this podcast, why would they um, invest in Coral Gold? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, uh, I guess, milestones this year and news flow, um, we're going to be drilling through till July, which means that we'll have a steady flow of drill results um, on a hopefully kind of fortnightly or certainly every three weeks or so basis up until, you know, let's say you've got a four week lag to when you finish drilling to get results. So up until the end of July, you should be having a pretty steady flow of drill results. Uh, on the back of the completion of that drilling and getting all the results, we'll be bringing out an updated resource. Hopefully, hopefully we're, we're aiming, fingers crossed, for, for a bigger resource and also one which has been upgraded into, into a M&I categorization as part of the beginning of a feasibility study. So we're, we're kicking off various constituent parts of the feasibility study already um, you know, with the Diamond Rig. We're starting the geotech drilling um, in the coming month. Uh, and aiming to complete a feasibility study by the end of this year. So plenty of news flow this year um, with the feasibility study. Uh, I think importantly and worth talking about briefly, um, we actually signed a financing package last year with a group called Lionhead, who is a, a large family office out of Cape Town, which are, are linked with our largest shareholder. Uh, and that finances the project based on the scoping study economics on completion of a feasibility study, if that makes sense. So yeah, you know, the financing package look, you know, looked at ultimately at the CapEx in the scoping study uh, and it fully funds that CapEx based on the scoping study. So on the assumption your feasibility study comes through in a similar vein, um, you know, that would kick in um, you know, on completion of that feasibility study and, and finance the project um, through, into, through into production. So I think we sit in a, a very unique situation for a junior uh, at the stage we're at because you know, there are lots of good-looking projects out there with, with decent-looking numbers. Uh, I think what hopefully you know, separates us from some of the other guys who are operating there is we've got um, you know, some very strong shareholders who, who have been very supportive um, through fundraisers over the last two or three years. Um, but you then also got this conditional financing package, which is which has sat there uh, and leaves us in a, in a pretty enviable position um, on delivery of our feasibility study um, at the end of this year as we're, as we're targeting to do. Um, in Q1 next year to be, be in a good position as we're going through the permitting of the project um, and, and looking to finance it. Yes, certainly. And um, it's, it looks like it's exciting times ahead and um, you've, got everything, you've got everything put in place, it seems, um, and it's just a matter of time of getting those dual results, um, working through those dual results and um, moving forward with the project. But everything seems, seems really um, positive. Um, no, we certainly hope so. Look, we're we're we certainly hope so. We're we're super excited about it. Um, the team are, are really enjoying being being busy with the rig at site, and I'm yeah looking forward to catching up with them when I when I go out next in the, in a few weeks' time. Yeah, no worries. But really appreciate your time uh, in doing this podcast. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, how can they go about doing that? And are you across any social media? Um, yeah, so we've obviously got um, there's Coras on on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, so they can reach out. And, you know, on you know, Cora Gold on Twitter and LinkedIn. They can also email the company. So if you email info at coragold.com, um, you know, me, myself or, or Craig or our head of exploration, Norm, can, can get back to, to various questions depending on what they're targeted. So yeah, you can directly get in touch via Twitter or LinkedIn, I guess, uh, or also email in the company info at, um, info at coragold.com. So yeah, those are easy ways to get in touch with us. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and an audience that are listening to this, um, appreciate if you can uh, pass this on to other people in the industry, especially if you're working out in West Africa um, or even in the gold space. Uh, appreciate if you can um, share and like this uh, podcast. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, again, if you can uh, like and share uh, below. 
Um, Bert, really appreciate your time uh, in taking the time to do this podcast. And um, it seems an exciting um, story ahead um, and wish you all well in the future. Pleasure, Rob. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. No worries. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.